in a world full of self-serious entertainment and forgettable films lauded with praise, many of the greatest works were ignored, considered low art, cast into the gutter. But those who had the will to comb through those films found gems worthy of bearing the title, Trash to Peace. Join hosts who frankly spent a lot of money on film school educations and desperately need to feel like that choice made sense as they examine one of the greatest Christmas films of all time. Get ready for Gremlins. Woo! Here yeah, we baby. Are. Here we are. Welcome to Trash Peace Theater. I am Alex Burns. He's Luke Simmons. That's me. So glad to be here. So glad to be here. So glad to have Luke? everyone joining us with their ears, I assume. I'll tell you what, I'm I'm loving that we're starting with Gremlins. I think it's it's the perfect jumping off point for what I hope we're going to do with this podcast. Sometimes they might be things you never heard of. Sometimes they'll be like, yeah, everyone's heard of Gremlins. But this was a generally considered to be a stupid movie for kids when it came out. No one gave it much hope, but it also came at a moment, I think a real turning point where the culture shifted from it being like, okay, where's our next The Godfather? Where's our next thoughtful, auteur-driven piece to these sort of more poppy, schlocky films? 1984, this same year, the same summer that this came out, Indiana Jones Temple of Dune came out. And on the same day as Gremlins, Ghostbusters came out. Unreal. Unreal. It is unreal. that You could see both of these movies on the same day. Your own double feature? Ah, what a dream. Two of the most popular movies of the entire year were things that I'm sure executives were like, hey, he's a weird, dumb kid, ghost and monsters. Who cares? It's like, we care. America cares. Well, let me tell you, if we were getting something like Ghostbusters and Gremlins on the same day now, I mean- Fuck Barbenheimer. People would be just ready going for yeah, losing their minds. Ghostlands, Gremlin Busters, Grem Busters, Grem Busters. I think the problem is we're. I don't doubt we might get a Ghostbusters and a Gremlins on the same day, but it's going to be Ghostbusters Part Seven, the new cast, and a Gremlins reboot sequel, a requel, yeah, whatever. Well. Gremlins just to set the stage was written as a spec script. By Chris Columbus. Never he never expected anything to happen other than be like, I can write crazy stuff. Let me let me show you. He was sitting in his apartment at night listening to mice chew up his walls. And we're like, what if that's not mice? What if it's monsters? And then wrote this insane, frankly disturbing script that somehow got to Steven Spielberg, who was like, Yes, I love it. I love it. Yeah, you read about the earliest conception of this film, and Spielberg was just such a like angel an angel investor in this movie yeah. who was just like constantly clearing the path for these two weirdos to make their weirdo movie i don't want to get too far ahead sure. of it, but since we're talking about spielberg doing this sort of thing i w we'll talk more about it later but the weird phoebe cates monologue amazing even spielberg himself was like i don't like it i don't think it should be in the movie but yeah, dante this is your thing, so if you want it in there, you can keep it. He, like, yeah, even and, he didn't like it. And then Joe Dante fought tooth and nail. The, apparently, all the executives I read were saying, I don't know, is it supposed to be sad? Is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to make you feel good, bad? And Joe Dante was like, exactly. It's the movie in a scene. The whole movie's feelings in a monologue. What am I supposed to feel about this? Watching these little monsters chew up an entire town full of seemingly nice people. And the answer is, Hey man, enjoy it. 
I mean, there's a lot to love about this movie, but I think that that monologue is the, the most interesting part of the movie. I've never seen anything like that in any other movie. It kind of makes me wish he spent a little less time just being like a, a goofy weirdo and being more of like a like Joe Dante. Yeah. Like if it, I would have like, a little bit more of this, like this guy's like kind of funny, but I'm worried that he also might shoot me. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a David Lynch feeling of, okay, this is apple pie sentimentality. But then on top of that, it's just, you know, that's that hard turn of, and that's when I noticed the smell, the fireman came and broke through the gym, like right into it. We're finding a dead dad decomposing in the chimney dressed up as Santa Claus. It's amazing. But I mean, that's very much for a movie that like never really resembles real life. The way that someone can just like do that to a room full of people, yeah. like start telling a story that totally kills the vibe. Like that's very, very real. You're watching the movie where you're just like, wait, what the fuck just happened here? This is way off track. But the fact that when they came back for a sequel, it's like that moment of like, well, we know we got to have all the hits. And she starts to do like, it was Arbor Day or something. And they're like, all right, and we got, yeah. we don't have time for this one. <laughs> that part is, and yeah, that part is so good. I mean, obviously it's going to be, I think, hard for us to not steer real hard into the sequel. Yeah. I mean, wow. Is there a lot to talk about there? God willing, we'll get there someday. Yeah. Uh, and what an epic episode that will be. So real quick, just to set it up, I guess we should say for those of you who might not know, uh, Gremlins follows a young man who receives a strange creature as a pet, which then spawns other creatures who transform into small, destructive, mischievous monsters that wreak havoc on a whole town on Christmas Eve. What's not the like? Yeah, this movie right out of the gate, it does two things at the same time, which is hilarious. It both sets up this kind of like critique of American consumerism of these weird junk inventions that the dad is making and his quest for some novel present to bring home to the kid. And later when they realize that, oh, these gremlins, if you just get them wet, they endlessly reproduce. He's like, we could just get these into every home in America. And then literally by next year, every home in America had a gizmo plush toy. It was both making fun of it, but then also like, but a little money made back. Oh, yeah. Those guys were definitely high on uh, getting their merch money back in the day. Oh, my God. Um, it, it is really interesting in that regard. Yeah. Like, it, I, I would guess that's probably what made Spielberg think that this was a movie that he could make. You know, yeah. like, sure, he thinks this is a quirky movie, but he's also seeing dollar signs on essentially what is the gizmos the original baby yoda right? yeah yes i didn't think of it till you said it but absolutely and this was insane too i i'm gonna up at the top call out i read some articles on cracked mental floss imdb so i'm not you doing original research i'm just reading other people's interviews but apparently early on the plan in the original script well first off one of the first scenes we see gremlins they killed and ate the family dog and then when the mom goes to investigate, her head rolls down the stairs like a bowling ball bouncing off each step. And they were like, yeah, we're going to probably have to tone this back if we want anyone to see it and not get furious at us. And then the other thing that they did was initially Gizmo was Stripe. The main gremlin got wet, created all these other ones. And Steven Spielberg was like, I feel like they're going to want to like one of them. They're so cute. Let them like one. That's <laughs> a good note. He was correct. I mean, like, you know. As a child, my in was Gizmo, but as an adult, I've, I've come to love the Gremlins. Yeah, well, I mean, look, Gremlins, I think Spielberg's involvement takes it from being what would have been the Roger Corman mm -hmm. 
version of the movie. Right, yeah. Uh, obviously the the Spielberg version. And, you know, I don't know if I would have ever even seen the Corman version. I'm sure that would have been really fun. But personally speaking, I don't remember seeing Gremlins for the first time. Like, this is a movie that I saw when I was four or five yeah. and has just always been like at the back of my brain. There is no consciousness that doesn't that involve this movie which is a big part of why I love the sequel so much. Like I can, I remember being so fired up for that movie, but yeah, without having any context of having seen the first, you know, I think that's how I came to the first one is that I, the gremlins two was the first movie. I remember being like, Oh baby, it's coming. We cannot wait. We're going opening day. Me and my, my buddy, Dave Heller were like gremlins Two, gremlins Two, And I think we had seen the commercials on TV and we were like, what is this? And one of our parents, was like you guys haven't seen gremlins and we're like i don't know and then we watched the first gremlins we're like oh my god the world has changed there's there is we have as a child who just did wantonly destroy a lot of stuff not maliciously you know i'd feel for sure bad afterwards but i i love man i love a rascal on screen or in real life and oh yeah i love mayhem i'm a big fan of mayhem and Boy, oh boy, are the gremlins bringing both horrible little tricksters. You know, I remember there's an episode of uh, Futurama. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything about it other than Bender referring to himself as a lovable asshole. Yeah. You know, I just was like, that's just it. That's what America loves in a in a comedic character. We just want a lovable asshole. I'm- and this movie is just the most lovable assholes of all time. What is America if not the world's lovable asshole? And lovable is a little bit arguable at times but you know we're we're owning it we're out there like hey baby we're drunk and we're setting off fireworks in your country but guess what we're having fun and wearing dungarees it's a party i mean you can't argue with the fact that it is a party the gremlins love to party and i'm here for it and i want to be a part of that party well that gremlins party at the bar Mm -hmm. uh again it not to get ahead of ourselves but if but let's be honest, that's in some ways like the peak of 1980s cinema. Yeah. I cannot believe how much real estate they carve out in the middle of the movie. They were like, we're just going to have five minutes of gremlin mayhem. They do a flash dance parody yeah. where they have the frame upside down, like with the, <laughs> on the on the leg warmers on the gremlin's legs. They the, There is complete unhinged abandon in that sequence yes. uh and if that isn't like the gooey chocolatey heart of gold of this movie that hardwired it into like my dna as a child of the 80s yeah it was perfectly fucking calibrated to that and if you'll allow me to ramble on a little bit more I sure will. the other part about it, watching it now re-watching it the other night i'll be honest like this movie i don't want to say it drags in the first half but it doesn't really get going until the gremlins show up halfway through. sure and yeah. in the first half of the movie i'm like Wow, there sure is a lot of goofy shit with like these zany fucking inventions. As and, as a child, you know, as a forty-two-year-old man, yeah. yes, exactly. I'm like, come on, this is ridiculous. And then I'm reminding myself, was like, well, let's be honest, this movie was for twelve-year-olds, and I'm sure I thought that exploding orange juice machine was the funniest Weird. thing in the world when I was five years. I also was really, I mean, one of my main con- career tracks as a child was, I'm like, I'll probably invent cool things be an inventor oh i thought you're gonna say gremlin oh no i mean that's closer to what i ended up doing with my life but (laughs) 
<laughs> early on it was like i'll probably either be a cool inventor of strange devices or drive a garbage truck that would be cool those guys look like they're having fun those were early career paths well i still watch the garbage truck come down the street and i think those guys probably got it all right You're having a good time in there benefits yeah retirement what are the expectations of the job you show up on time you get the trash you find a filthy gizmo stuff anyway. toy and you zip tie it to the front of the truck <laughs> living the dream that's exactly right uh well speaking of big trucks big buses let's get into uh joe dante maybe sure yeah bit. i've got a quote from him about this movie he said it's the movie i'm going to get remembered for if i get hit by a bus tomorrow the headline is going to be gremlins director hit by bus <laughs> i'll never do something that'll outlast in terms of the public image of who i am which is fine with me it's not my favorite movie that i ever made but i'm perfectly happy with it and i think it does what it was supposed to do good on him yeah i mean that's amazing what we love gremlins more than joe dante does uh i feel like he has a more complicated and nuanced we don't live gremlins every it's not like gremlins guy you know if i had like <laughs> if my gremlins tattoo which i do have was like on my face i think i would start to be like all right i don't want to talk about gremlins all the time but I, it <laughs> okay, isn't right, which is yeah. why i didn't get i didn't get the face tattoo but yeah i mean right out of the gate steven spielberg apparently reached out to him just sent him the script and he was like is this coming to the wrong place I'm getting a script for a weird kid monster movie from Steven Spielberg. And apparently he had seen the howling werewolf movie and was like, this guy, I feel like has got some chops and a certain sense of humor, very specific. It's like a, a self-awareness about movie making. They're watching It's a Wonderful Life throughout it. There's a yeah. bunch of Frank Capra references. There's there, a whole scene takes place in a movie theater with a projection like backdrop and the gremlins just partying in a movie theater, loving movies, having a great time. I didn't read all those articles you read, but I listened to the director's commentary and uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds yeah. is you know, one of the big touchstones <laughs> they had in going for that. And it's like those birds, they were really a menace too, man. But the birds like the gremlins, I mean, we, they didn't ask to be brought into man's domain. So let's start, I, let's do a, like some quick plot beats. The movie starts Randall Peltzer, who also gives us some interesting bookended narration in a weird way that it, it's a strange little beat that I, I don't know if i ever processed before that's like yeah i'm an absentee father and i was trying to impress my kid before i went back on the road for christmas which is an insane move but it's, it's not the smoothest start to a movie i will say it is a little bit like wait what who are we who's this guy who are we centered on and now he's gone he's gone very quickly but he he's drawn into this chinatown antique store where key luke i don't know if i'm saying that actor's name correctly not the most enlightened of uh stereotypical kind of old man running a chinatown junk shop roles as you would guess from a 1980s film but yeah. they didn't lean in too heavy to it you know he just was sort of like yes let us let us <laughs> two white men be the first to say we absolve that it that they did that it was acceptable we're fine yeah, it's fine okay. no i mean look if we're going to talk about this movie i do think we have to talk a little bit about its uh representation of uh chinese people which i yeah okay all right i don't think it's like it's not as terrible as it, i sometimes when i go back and watch a movie i'm like boy, boy. <laughs> oh no this is so much worse than i remember whereas this one look the old man in the like with the wispy long beard and the little hat that's that's a little bit kind of caricature-ish that's i would say it's over the line i would say it's over the line but i did i did appreciate even oh, at yeah. the time that they brought you to him via his grandson who's like look hey that's the old that's my grandpa grandpas are weird i'm just looking for some sweet cash 
And the, the and in the eighties, man, if there was like if there was a like a minority character who was a child, they were like, "We'll Americanize this kid. Throw a Yankees hat on." Yeah. Like every time, it's like if we've got a non-white child, he's got a baseball hat on. Come hell or high water, because that's how you're gonna know this kid's American. I will say the creepiest part of this whole scene is that the dad, Randall Peltzer, is doing backroom deals with the child as soon as his the parent <laughs> leaves the room, and he's like, "I know your dad said this is not for sale, but real quick, I got a cool fifty bucks for you if you'll just grab me that priceless." living thing that i can take with me and he's like yeah yeah it's amazing that the peltzers have like a, a pretty you know a kooky but well-balanced home life you know like the wife seems to love him and like the, the son yeah. like that guy's not a good father or husband there's no way he that, is the like, problem that house together that guy's a dirtbag he also it's what an insane move to buy an exotic pet an undiscovered exotic pet when you have a family dog Right. If there was no Barney at home, it's a little less nuts to me. He's like, well, my kids wanted a pet, but he's allergic to cats and, you know, dogs are we're not allowed to have a dog because of the town cats, whatever. So I'll get this weird little yes. chinchilla looking thing. Yes. But there is a dog at home who apparently also reading up on it, thought the gremlin was real and would hang out with the puppet when they were not shooting, just like looking at it, waiting. His name was Mushroom. The dog thought Gizmo was real and would hang out with it in between takes. That's what the article led me to believe. Wow, Gizmo really is the original Baby Yoda because there are stories about Werner Herzog doing the same <laughs> thing with Baby Yoda. I just would watch That's him. not even a joke, I swear. I know, I heard that interview. I The first time I saw him, I cried because of his beauty in awe and wonder. Yeah. And so, and then, so mushroom similar to Werner. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But the dad brings back this strange creature to his family already with a pet in Kingston Falls, which same town as Hill Valley. It's uh, pretty hard to not recognize it, I would say. And to the point where Joe Dante had to be a little bit pissed when he saw Pack to the Future. Like, there's a couple shots of the town that are like, I was like, that's my shot. That's the same shot. It's hard. It's hard to recognize unless you're an idiot like me and only knew this about a week ago. I've watched both of those movies dozens you didn't know of times. That? Never put that together. The, what is snowy, Burns? It doesn't Dude. snow in Hill Valley, California. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, I'm like, see right there. You can tell that's the side of the clock tower. And my wife is like, yeah, great. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. Part of this podcast is just going to be us getting an outlet for all these intrusive brain thoughts that we have to say about like, this is, I know this about the movie. I know this about the movie to people who are going to go, Oh, really? That's cool. That's fun. Both of us are just racing to the finish line to see who could be the first one to say it. <laughs> is it back to the future. Back to the future. <laughs> to, uh, damn it. You win this one, Luke. Back to the movie, the plot. Do you want to walk us through the, that rules scene? The laying out the rules and one of the cleanest. All right, I'm getting you a new pet. I got to tee it up and what you're allowed to do. They do a very good job of, you know, hitting us with them twice at the top of the movie, yeah. right? As we're getting away from Key Luke, mm -hmm. we're hearing the voiceover where Peltzer gets the rules. Pretty dismissive of them, I would say. In yeah, this yeah, segment. whatever. But as soon kid. as he gets home, he's like, all right, hold on. This is real serious. I'm curious to know maybe what, like, I think there is a um, a Rogue One 
sort of prequel of his journey home with the Mogwai, <laughs> you know, where he learns to take the rules seriously. He almost kills it by uh, leaving it on the dashboard the first day. And then <laughs> he's like, oh, God, it's sizzling. It's smoking. And he pours water on it and has like three deformed gremlins that he has to just stomp outside of his car because they're too too deformed to live. And he's like, this is a nightmare. Okay. Like, we can't keep, I mean, we can't keep doing this. That. As somebody who one time watched my friend's family dog drop a hamster down a set of stairs, and then the entire family was like, no one knows how to handle this because it, it was not dead, but it was no longer going to be the family hamster. You know, you want to avoid those situations as much as possible in your life. And I think that it only would have taken old Randy Pelt's one misstep with the Mogwai in the car to be like, oh, so they're serious. That child that I defrauded was serious about these rules. <laughs> okay. What were they again? He calls the Chinatown junk shop back up and he's like, hey, uh, can you put your grandson on the phone real quick? I was in there earlier. So <laughs> <laughs> about those rules. Yes. Hit, it, hit us with those rules, Burns. Number one, keep him out of the sunlight. Yeah. It'll kill him. They hate bright hate light. That bright Not light. good for him. Two, under no circumstances can they get wet. Don't bathe them. Don't even give them something to drink. Which is that's that and, one's insane because it really feels to me like Gizmo much stink. You know, like like a ferret uh, times a million. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like a musky jungle know, scent in your house at all time. Just rubbing up on corners yeah, of things, like leaving his scent around. <laughs> mm, it's like this. He's so cute, but he stinks. Anyway, sorry. No, I would be interested to know about, you know, what else got left on the uh, on the cutting room floor after they made those revisions to the script, you know? Yeah. Gremlins shitting all over the place, humping the dog. I'm sure all of it was on the table if they were throwing the mother's head down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. They're, I mean, they're uh, asexual. But anyway, so that... They're asexual. They don't need to have sex oh, to reproduce, but... They, right. They I definitely could, are asexual. They don't have. But as we see later, when one flashes his non-existent genitals, like they can get thrills out of it. Clearly, they're they're into little their little weird peccadillos. Yeah, they yeah they're really uh, they're fluid with all that stuff for sure. Little perverts. Um, and then yeah, rule three, the most important rule under no circumstances are they allowed to eat after midnight. Which begs the question: At what point are we no longer in after midnight? Right. Like when can they, it's always after midnight, Luke. I think it's gotta be, when can they eat? It's gotta be sun up at that point. Cause they're so, they're so yeah. photosensitive. Cause I've thought about this a lot, even with the time zones, I think midnight is sort of like, that's the safe moment. They're at their weakest in the daytime at night. They're probably like, oh, now I'm feeling good. And if you wait too long and hit them at the end of that recharging nocturnal schedule with food in their system, that's when you're going to trigger that next stage of gremlins evolution. I. I think that makes a lot of sense. Like you could that probably, I think, sense. look, if you feed them at 1201, I think you're probably still safe. If you feed them at like 1230, even I bet you're, it's, it's like a statistical like bell a curve. Yeah. It's not a, I, yeah, yeah, I, that, yeah, that by 1 a.m. That makes by 1 a.m. Yeah. Tracks the tracks. So, yeah, I mean, so like right there, I think that that's like, how, I mean, that's just one of the most effective things in the movie. Like you hear those three rules and like, it's basically that's the movie is like just very clearly telling you here's three things we're going to do. Mm -hmm. oh, you think we're not allowed to do these are the three things we're going to do. And what's going to happen when we do them, just stick around and find out. Like it is just so engaging. You're like, all right, well, I, I'm 
totally hooked. Gremlins, the movie, like Gremlins, the creature, loves to break a rule. They really do. And then, boom, movie's off and running, and they let us know by hitting us with one of the greatest scores of all time. Mm -hmm. I mean, Luke, you must have some opinions on this score. It's it's fantastic. Even what I think gets overlooked a lot is that little whistle song, Gizmo song. I love that. I love that even Amazing more than I well. love the uh, main theme. Although I love the main theme, if I'm being I think honest that, with you. Can I take a moment here? Sure. I have a, I have a present for you that I think is going to maybe change your opinion. Oh my god! On which on which song you like better? And away we go. After twelve, I'm worse than a gremlin. Beat me hip hop and I start trembling. Wow, so, Necro. Necro, after 12. Late period Necro. What, what, what do you think of that? Do you know that song? I, you do, know that I one? don't know that song. Mo- I kind of checked out with Necro back in the sexorcist, real filthy, verbally pornographic <laughs> rap days, which I liked, but I guess I haven't been following Necro's later work. Well, yeah, this one's from two years ago. 1.2 million views. Necro's going strong. Apparently, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, too, because I was, as you will, Googling things, saw another other than the Gremlins hat. I have a hat with a Gremlin on it that said Necro. And I'm like, that's weird. Like the rapper? And it turns out, yes, he's got merch. (laughs) Wow. So Okay. That's amazing. That's amazing. I was not not aware of the song, but I guess in a way I was. Yeah. (laughs) The, The score is Jerry Goldsmith who's kind of legend of the, yes. and he is in the movie he's outside little booth when randy peltzer is making phone calls home that's uh jerry goldsmith in a cowboy uh, hat is he yeah. you could t- i knew that was somebody i was i was like you could tell it was like some tip of the hat i was wondering who it was. and steven spielberg rides through in a recumbent bicycle covered in american flags in that same scene that was spielberg i yeah. totally missed it. <laughs> that weird guy who's just like i'm gonna cut through frame right now that's incredible well you know this was a, a award-winning score for jerry goldsmith he, he deserves every award he he won the Saturn Award for Best Music. Do you want to know who he beat? Yes, please. Ray Parker he Jr.? Beat, no, but he, he beat the Muppets Take Manhattan. Okay. Wow. He beat The Terminator. That's intense. He beat The Never-Ending Story by Giorgio Moroder. Wow. That is, I mean, that's, now we're getting into like, that's a photo Luke, finish. Luke? Yeah. He beat Purple Rain. <laughs> Gremlins beat Purple Rain. <laughs> Uh, well, frankly, I don't know if Purple Rain should count as a soundtrack. It, that, that's a long music video. <laughs> Let's be real. That's not, that movie didn't hold it without the music. So I don't know. It's probably the scoring in between, I would guess in between. And it's probably not even written by Prince. Sure. Yeah, well, like, maybe it is, but it's not in. when it's side by side with Purple Rain, you're like, this part isn't as good as that part. <laughs> yeah uh, had had to share that i was just delighted to no end it's amazing when I saw that list of nominees murderers row i mean real murderers row so yes anyway to get back to the plot peltzer gets home hands gizmo off to his son billy almost immediately Corey feldman spills water all over him <laughs> almost almost immediately it looks very painful for gizmo to be reproducing these little tiny nodules that was the moment we're watching this with my wife where she was like i don't know if i can handle all of this gizmo distress <laughs> like it's just like, yeah it's rough for him <laughs> they really it's like i think they would have pulled that back if they were making 2023 it's like yep. spielberg said that everybody's gonna love gizmo i mean jesus christ that is like then gizmo like has to suffer suffer so 
because he's a bad little creature. I also, I, it's crazy to me, immediately he hands one of them over to the school science teacher for testing. And rather than be like, oh my God, a new species, he's like, I'm just going to try some stuff on it. Take blood samples, keep you in a weird little cage, do tests on you. Do you know who that actor is? Hit, hit me. Glenn Turman. Glenn Turman. Who was uh, the mayor of Baltimore before Carchetti in The Wire. Yes. Yep. That's right. Oh. A billion other things. What appears to be like very impressive theater resume, yeah. although I would completely unqualified to speak to that. Uh, I like, but I would really love it if um, Mayor Royce secretly his backstory was that he was almost killed as a science teacher and changed his name to get away <laughs> from that disaster in his past to get a new teaching license and uh, ended up becoming mayor of Baltimore. I mean, who's to say that that's not the story? Kitty, this reminds me of the town I used to be a part of. <laughs> Kingston Falls, USA. <laughs> now, let me ask you, how does the science teacher die? It's unclear. He might not be dead. He's just has a in something injected in his butt, like a little syringe that he was drawing blood with. You can die if you inject air into your body. It's a kind of a horrific way to go. It gets into your heart and it sort of That's, like dry fires. So when I, I don't remember really this happening, but I know it happened when I talk about like hardwired. My father explained to me how air in the blood veins would kill you. And because of this movie, I was I like, know that like, wow. I didn't understand why he was dead. And <laughs> my father explained to me that if there was any air in a syringe, it would kill me. And so I was never afraid of needles for any other reason other than I thought there would be air in it and it might kill me. That's a, you know what? That's enough. That's, I think that's enough. Well, I think most kids are just like, ouch. They don't like, take, you know, getting like, yeah, you, you sort know, of inject it. You will hopscotch past that. It's like, it will hurt now, but it also may be the last thing I ever feel. Yeah. I was always like, you sure there's no air in there, doctor? <laughs> you got to get the air out of there. I don't want to die. And the doctor's like, listen, like kid, don't tell me what to do. Usually I tap the <laughs> bubbles out, but I don't like your attitude. So we're just going in raw. We're going to go Russian roulette on this one. We'll see. Maybe it's one of the bubbly ones. Maybe it's not. But you should learn to not question <laughs> doctors. That's first and foremost. Um, so we've got gremlins. Mm -hmm. At this point, this is where they're eating the food after midnight. Yeah. Going into their weird, gooey slime eggs. Mm -hmm. Their chrysalises, I suppose. Pupil stage. And really, very quickly, like overnight, mm -hmm. go from Mogwai to Gremlin. It's like a 24 hour. Um, oh, yeah. Now, I think we got to talk about how the term gremlin is introduced in this movie, Luke. Gremlins. Yeah. M Marty Futterman. Marty Futterman, the, I guess, World War II veteran neighbor. Maybe Korean uh, War. It's unclear. Timing wise. Could be Korean yeah. War. I guess maybe Vietnam. Could be Vietnam. Who knows? He said, point being, he says some things about uh, foreigners, foreign parts in uh, uh, American made machinery yeah. that. Really, very at, at that point, I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, wait a minute. What's the subtext of this movie? I think that it was during the time when American industry was collapsing, early fear mongering about uh, they're going to steal our jobs. The they being whoever you know was cheaper to be paid they, they, by they, capitalists. They, yeah. Yes. No. I think ultimately, you know, I, I think you said it already before. Like the gremlins are actually. The Americans, you know, I think, again, skipping ahead at the end of the movie, when uh, Key Luke comes to take Gizmo Batch, I think the movie does make it pretty clear that it's basically a repudiation of how we live our lives, like, entirely. Yeah, yeah, he's got some notes. For, for as, as goofy 
as this movie is, it's actually, I think, pretty critical of uh, American way of life. Yes. Or am I just putting that there because I want it to be? No, there's a pretty heavy, like, kind of consumerism will kill us, exploitation of the natural world, completely ignoring the pretty simple boundaries of, like, just don't do the things that are going to make it unlivable for you if you do them. And we're like, ah, right, listen, I got no time for this. That's, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, I think we come down on the idea that this movie's not canceled, right? I just, is that what I want to get like, oh, I don't, on the record. I don't think it is. Again, look, there's a, a lot of kind of the exoticism that every movie essentially made in America for decades and decades. Not every movie, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not not guilty of, of having this other character as the source of kind of mysticism. And, but he's, he is one of the most kind of blameless characters. He's not, jerk in any way he's just like i can't give you this dangerous creature he steals it in conjunction with his seedy little kid who's tapped into the american way of like listen we're not going to listen to warnings <laughs> and then <laughs> when there's money to be made yeah you didn't listen you've done with the mogwai what your society has done with all of nature's gifts and he's so sweet gizmo clearly loves mr wing he's his favorite and billy yeah. i mean he cares about billy billy was kind at a time when he needed him but he was a bad steward. I, I, I agree. He's a kid. For sure. Yeah. I just felt the need to talk about this because uh, the part with Mr. Futterman, I, I found that part at first to be pretty jarring. And I was like, I was worried for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> this movie was like being like explicitly against foreigners. Well, um, here's something interesting that I didn't know. Again, there's I've this is Gremlins has been a major part of my life for decades, decades. I've loved Gremlins and thought I was like, I'm a Gremlins expert. But part of the fun of a trash your piece theater as we dive deeper is really trying to like, is there anything I don't know about this movie? Turns out a ton. It's loosely based on a 1943 book by Roald Dahl called The Gremlins. That's where that. What? Really? Yeah. I mean, like the term, oh, yeah. the term Gremlins. And look, Roald Dahl, if you want to talk problematic besties, uh, <laughs> Got some, got some not super defensible things in his work throughout. And there's a larger conversation about whether or not it makes sense. Recent attempts to like, why don't we just republish it and we'll just change the word fat to rotund. And it's like, he's still the bad guy because he's rotund, whatever. That's a bigger conversation about whitewashing culture versus and actually facing the issues of our past. But he did make a little book about these monsters called the gremlins who would like mess with ships and get into the gears and do bad stuff. And it was, it was like the idea of this came from that book. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, I might have a fact for you about the gremlins that you may not have known. Okay, please. Another one for Hit you. me. Do you know what they tried to do before the puppets? I just learned this and it's incredible. It's truly incredible. Hit me. You tell me. They dressed up a monkey and it's so good it's such a good it's like the imagining this monkey in i mean i feel bad for the monkey but then they said it was like it was going okay until they got the gremlin head on it and it just lost its shit literally shit all over the like the edit room they were in they were it was just they were tr scrambling to try to capture what had become now an actual gremlin that would just was like you know all over the place losing it totally losing it Phoebe Cates is lucky she wasn't in a no situation. <laughs> I mean, it's a bad idea to put a mask on a chimpanzee.
Yeah. Not great. Not a great move to be like, oh, what could go wrong? I don't think the monkey will mind. Turns out the monkey minds a lot. Monkey <laughs> minds big time. There's so much of how they made this movie that it's just the the props guy, the main like production designer was like, no, it's unfilmable. It's not, it's not possible to do what you're asking to do in this movie. And they were like, okay. But and he's like, well, I need the work. Well, I need the work. So I'm going to certainly try. And Zach Galligan, is that how his name is? I love, I, I think that, uh, yeah. Zach Galligan, who plays Billy. I love that his two movies that he was in were Gremlins 1 and Gremlins 2. And he's like, I'm walking away from the game. I'm done. Good for him. That was his choice. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I don't know that people were knocking down his door, but for me as an outsider, I love that. I was like, no, that's Billy from Gremlins. It helps the movie that this is like the only time you really see that guy and that he has this look where you would think that like, okay, maybe this guy doesn't go on to be a star, but you could see how this guy is like a undistinct character actor that's been in fucking everything. Yeah. You know, he's done like like 12 different characters on Hawaii Five O over the years, you know? Right. No, like he really hasn't done anything. He was a newcomer. He just had, Um, he just had amazing chemistry. They said that on camera, he clearly was in love with Phoebe Cates. Steven Spielberg is like, oh, we don't even need to see anybody else. And who wasn't? And that's another thing. While we're on the subject of problematic issues of the 1980s, apparently they didn't, the studio did not want Phoebe Cates for the role of Kate. They thought they were like, yeah, but she's, we've seen her boobs, essentially. They were like, she's a, she's been, she's got those nude scenes, Uh, which God damn it, Hollywood, both being like, listen, we're going to need perfect breasts for Hollywood to run. And then as soon as they exist, you're like, and then we have to punish that person for having them. Because how dare she? Phoebe Kate should be in everything. She was great. Criminally. Frankly, I know a lot of guys that are just like that. You know, it's like, all right, I've seen them. I'm on to the next one. She's gross. Why would she show me her boobs? That's gross. I, mean, it, I'm, I know uh, I'm gross. It, and so by extension, anyone who would show me their boobs is gross. Is that why she didn't have a better career? Because she showed, had really would. Be I don't know. I that. think they probably it was harder to get roles that weren't like I'm sure she was offered a zillion like and then that's when the tap comes off kind of things. But instead, she was like, I'm going to I'm going to also step away from the game. She did some other movies, but not a ton. And now she's quietly yeah, well, her and, married to Kevin Klein. Her and Kevin Klein are just like actually enjoying life yeah <laughs> yeah good uh, for them good for them yeah i wonder what their days look like you know just going to the farmer's market getting nice produce coming home chopping up some vegetables you know just casually making a delicious gourmet dinner for yourself with a nice bottle of wine secretly raising the monkey that they tried to put in the gremlin suit for all these years <laughs> speaking of gremlins and uh and making a delicious meal in the original script, there was a scene where the gremlins attack the McDonald's and then they refuse to eat any of the hamburgers, but they eat all the people inside and all the food is left untouched. <laughs> Very funny, but I'm sure that there was some sort of a sponsorship deal. They're like, no, 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 no. McDonald's will not be happy with that. And they want to do happy meals. Well, there's very, very noticeably, a Burger King in the town square in this movie. Oh, interesting. So it makes me, which makes me wonder if they really were going to try and do the, that, that McDonald's scene. And McDonald's was like, no. And they were like, all right, fine. We're going to just give Burger King the prime slot. Here. Yeah. Fuck you. And Burger King was like, we also, <laughs> we also don't want the joke to be how bad our hamburgers are. This is the home of the Whopper. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Could have been a pretty good scene. 
we missed out. All right. Anyway, uh, they uh, at this point the gremlins are going nuts. Stripe gets to the Y, gets in the swimming pool. Now we got a town overrun with gremlins. We get the truly amazing gremlins party in the bar. Just the best. It rules. There's I I remember as a kid being so blown away by the scene where the one gremlin is like. <laughs> also. As a point, the voice acting in this movie, fantastic. They recorded it all afterwards. Howie Mandel as the voice of Gizmo. What can't that man do? Yeah, underrated guy, Howie Mandel. Maybe correctly rated. He sing the song. It's not him singing the song. They did bring someone else in. It's like a child. Hit that high note. Yeah. (laughs) Can you hit that high note? No, I can do a weird whistle. Can you? I can hit the high note. Hit it. Oh my god. It's pretty good, right? I mean the cruel irony is that you deserve the spotlight and yet it will burn you and injure you because you cannot be subjected to bright lights. Thank you. I actually great. I'll be honest, Luke, I was hoping that was gonna go worse. I'm jealous. I no, I it, <laughs> I didn't want it to be anything but perfect. And it nearly was. <laughs> I I'm I don't know that our sound equipment got all of it, but that's the limitations of the form. Yeah, no, I heard I hit some dogs could hear it. That sort of thing. Uh you mentioned this is where also in the movie we get to Phoebe Kate's amazing why she doesn't celebrate Christmas speech. Yes. This I have to say, I think that uh spiritually, this is the yin to the yang of the Goonies speech. That we have like two of the greatest speeches of, you know, the nineteen eighties in film. Like you always hear people talking about their Goonies speech in movies of like, well, this is our time, our time down here. Whereas this one is so it it is exactly the same importance put on it, total shrinking of the focus to just this monologue. And so such a weird downer that it connects in no other way to the movie, other than like Kate was already not having a good time on Christmas. She's made it clear she doesn't like Christmas. And like that has definitely been telegraphed. Uh, and honestly, the performance is like yeah. unreal. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, unreal. it's like that's what made me be like, it's like, oh, wow, we really didn't get enough Phoebe Cates. Like, it's like, this is an incredible actor here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was living the, the truth of that I, dad in the chimney. The, it just like the movie just decides to stop on a dime to get so uncomfortably real about something awful and strange and then immediately we're into the gremlins watching snow white is that what's next after that i think pretty much yeah i mean the town is which is just the funniest yeah it's amazing where he he looks into the window and he turns around and he says they're watching snow white and they love it i just and they love it and they love it and they do they do well they're they're a musical creature they're singing even from the time that they're you know they're little pre-pubescent forms the warner brothers logo at the beginning of this movie mm-hmm. the gremlins are they're looney tunes yeah right yeah, like this is a warner brothers movie and the gremlins are essentially like an extension of the looney tunes they like would absolutely fit right in with those characters and they like play by the rules established in that universe mm-hmm. um and i think and I, and I just feel like they do something early in the movie to communicate that to you so that like you kind of understand what the rules of engagement on comedy are with them well they do at um, in the bar when you know there's a whole kind of b storyline about billy's job being threatened by the wicked witch at his who owns the bank who wants to kill his dog literally it gives the same speech as the wicked witch i think about killing the dog um 
<laughs> but in the bar, uh, one of the another of the cameos is Chuck Jones, the Looney Tunes artist, and it be he's he's sitting at the bar um, that Phoebe Cates works at while Billy's getting chewed out by Judge Reinhold, and uh, he's watching a Pepe Le Pew cartoon on the TV that he animated. So they're like that. Yeah. They're like very, yeah, yeah, they're there. It's it again, wow, they had Chuck Jones. one of the most kind of film aware and referential and reverential movies. This, yeah. This movie is just like full of like glee about, you know, it's uh, inspirations and, you know, the film history that led yeah. to this fucking nutty movie. All right. So yeah, I mean, at this point after the monologue, we're pretty much off to the end of the movie. It's, like, yeah. The next thing they're blowing up a movie theater, then they're chasing him through the, hardware store and he's flinging saw blades and suddenly gizmo don't forget he's making a getaway on a tricycle oh yeah that's he's a you know he's a little rascal that stripe very resourceful (laughs) and it turns out that gizmo watching a weird clark gable movie where he's a race car driver was sort of a checkoffs clark gable clip because now he's in this little rc sports car and he is the one who hunts down stripe and kills him murders him with some not just rc sports car i'm pretty sure that's like the barbie like dream car that margot roby and uh ryan gosling were riding around in all gizmo did it first well they kill him they kill her they kill the beautiful stripe that made all of this possible and then with the news coming on about sort of all the horrible tragedies mr wing shows up he had to take the train up out of new york city to scold them for really just ravaging nature in every way and uh gizmo says and then goes off whistling into the sunset and we get another warning that the next time your car's not working it might be gremlin cue that theme song probably is really good stuff there i mean the song can just be reinterpreted reinterpolated you know it just is the gift that keeps on giving it's great every single department of this film came together to do something beautiful and the result is i'm going to just jump ahead of usually we're going to in upcoming episodes we'll we'll be asking ourselves is this a trash piece or just trash and this is a trash piece yeah this is i would say like the platonic ideal of what we're after something that is like not trying to win the respect of anyone except the unwashed masses and like just lets its freak flag fly you know i mean like it doesn't give it's not afraid to get weird no it gets so weird it's self-aware about its weirdness it doesn't like it's not like aren't i perfect it's like man look at these crazy puppets let's do a close-up of that one because that one's got a weird face you know they really lean in they were both doing incredibly technically difficult things to make all of these little puppets scamper around the city and doing it in fun inter- like okay now we can really see them move in a scary way because it's behind a screen and it's just animated like shadow play or so cool. <laughs> billy complained because he said that every shot where they were like casually like and then he'll carry gizmo around he's like that was hours of having all of these servo wires ran up my body and taped underneath my clothes so that a puppet could be just like in my arms and a puppeteer could be just at crotch level being like okay and then the arms and then the legs and then a little mouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, you you can't you have to respect the dedication, the man hours mm -hmm. that go in to making these fucking goofy bastards is just I mean, what are we here on planet Earth for if not to come together and collaborate to make things like grim? Let's grim it up, baby. Let's grim it up, baby. So in the interest of gremming it up, Luke, should yeah. we do the reboot game? Reboot game. Eventually, I'm sure reboot we will, game. we'll have a little sound sting for this and other. You know what? Hey, if, if anyone's listening to this and you have a segment you would like to hear a sting for and or to hear us do in future episodes, reach out to us. Tell us about it. Let us know if you yeah, think that there's a segment you would like us to hear or if you think we're getting it wrong on our reboot game casting, please let us know. But um. Reboot game is we're going to work together. Sometimes we'll bring our own sort of alternating suggestions on who we want to see if we in a hypothetical reboot. They've been talking about rebooting slash doing a sequel to this movie for a while now. They recently just it is unreal that there is not a Gremlins three. I it's, it is unreal in a move in a world that is just full of IP and sequels and reboots. And I cannot believe that there's only two of these movies. I think Joe Dante said that he, he thinks part of the reason is he made gremlins to sequel proof in that he did. He just poured every possible convention from a sequel he could think of into the sequel to make it the most ridiculously on the nose sequel of all time. But regardless, who's our, our reboot going to feature before we do, here's an interesting thing. The gremlins, almost wasn't directed by joe dante there was talks at the time of a young up-and-coming director who had just done a little short film called frankenweenie named tim burton of directing gremlins there's an alternate universe where tim burton did gremlins and maybe i don't know joe dante did peewee but that, i don't like either of those i think that that's both are the lesser versions of what we ended up getting I agree that the Tim Burton version is probably the lesser version, but I, I am curious about early Tim Burton doing Gremlins. Yeah. That I would be curious. So, all right. I think we have to start with like the writer director sort of idea. And I have, I have three ideas here. Oh, interesting. For the lane. Take. Now, hold on. I, I don't want to like just take over here. You got anything you want to say before? I I got one real solid, like I landed on my writer director. And I was like, that's what I want. That's who I want for it. That's who I think it's got to be. Are you keep you hold I'll on to hold that on for to that now? One. And then you let me know if I sway you. Okay. So I got three, three came to mind. The first one is so obvious. I don't want to do it. Who's that? But Guillermo del Toro's gremlins would be mm -hmm. what gets greenlit today. Sure. Uh, I think considering some of the correction that could be done to the like Chinese part of this movie. Sure. Yep. Could be pretty, interesting. they would never want to do it, but the Daniels doing gremlins. That's who I want to do it. I want the Daniels to is do that, it. Is that it. Yes. You want the Daniels. Mm -hmm. And then I thought that that was too good that I, so I came up with a third one that I just wanted to throw out at you hot off of the success of Top Gun Maverick, Joseph Kaczynski. <laughs> because of the practical effects we are going to see yeah, a gremlin practical. actually fly a jet <laughs> yes exactly in one of the most dangerous You're going moves. to train a team of puppeteers for three years yeah to fly a jet through a gremlin so it has to be a jet pilot puppeting the gremlin unfortunately okay so no kaczynski then let's go with the daniels i like the daniel i think the daniels would do i mean like 
there's so much weird practical stuff in um swiss army man and in everything yeah. everywhere all at once and yeah. i think that they also it's a chance to course correct some of the unfortunate sort of otherism of because yes. again we we said it earlier key luke is arguably uh, aside from gizmo the only kind of pure hero of the movie and billy and kate they're trying their best but they're out of their depth i would love to see the daniels take on it absolutely with that in mind who do you put at the center of the movie the billy yeah i had a really hard time with i don't know who do you, do you have somebody that you think is like really perfect i was going to suggest stephanie show but uh oh, as kate no as billy as billy we're oh we're all right i mean i'm not i wasn't like purposefully trying to do a gender swap i was just thinking that if we're like going to like i love correct it the othering of it that like you know yeah it should be a chinese american family that has access to uh gizmo and like i just i mean i know everybody loves her now because she was so awesome and everything everywhere she was once, i mean like there's nothing she can't do she's like anytime she shows up she's i'm so happy she's there but you know, if we're updating this, I think I you know like this it. could be the sort of thing where it's like she had to move back home because you know millennials can't get ahead in today's you know job market. I had thought possibly a Daniel Radcliffe type because he has a history with the Daniels, and uh, you know he was the titular Swiss Army man. But then I moved away from him because it, it's like he reminds me a little too much of of the original Billy. But if you're putting Stephanie Hsu as Billy. I could see Danny Rad's being given that Kate monologue about. Oh, I like that. Oh my god, he actually yes. he's suddenly the Phoebe yes. Gates character. I mean, as, as a guy who seems to be really concerned with doing weird things these days, he might actually say yes to that. Sure. If again, we're. I think that I don't think it's crazy for us to say, hey, let's if we're going with the Daniels, if we've somehow secured them for our Gremlins reboot, let's go with the the stable of talented actors that they already have worked with and have like a shorthand creatively with. Well, to that end, I want to gender swap the parent roles, too. OK, great. And I want the mother role to be played by someone who turned down working with the Daniel Jackie Chan interesting because that the mom stay-at-home dad has the best action scene in the movie yeah when she fights the first gremlins in the kitchen we didn't talk about like she like, puts, she's, like she's throwing the knives she's jamming them into rules. yeah it, it does rule and you put Jackie Chan in that role who is the king of like doing these awesome funny action scenes mm -hmm. so you just let him cook right there let him cook i love it let burns cook with this casting because that's perfect to your point people talk all the time about jackie chan jumping off buildings jackie chan getting dragged behind like a hovercraft people don't talk about like jackie chan at a dinner table fighting with a chair and plates with the person next to him you know doing all the weird little like slap slap like three stooges martial arts essentially and yeah i was gonna say like charlie chaplin uh -huh. of, yeah. amazing i'm in i'm yeah, very amazing in. so we need to cast the the inventor mom and i do have an idea for that one too but i love it i would put as as like sort of like hapless inventor dad sandra O. Oh. Okay. Who can play that sort of like schlubby, I'm not good at my job thing from uh, uh, Killing Eve. Killing Eve. Yeah. Like she's very schlubby in that. Yeah. And like always running behind schedule. I like it, sort of changes the dynamic if 
she's gifting her child with the the mogwai from like uh, something that she's found while visiting her family rather than just flat up stealing a pet from somebody and being like hey kid here's some cash well yeah i mean you could get into some interesting stuff i mean that's already there about how it rejects like american consumerism there's a lot to be said about how it's like oh yeah you know like maybe you've become too american yeah that be said of us all well i guess maybe not the non-americans but (laughs) fair so then who, so who else we got? We got Marty Futterman. It's the trick there is finding somebody who can play a crank, but isn't an actual horrible crank. I got the guy. Who's your guy? <laughs> uh, well, after seeing his turn in bottoms, I'd put, put Mar- Marshawn Lynch in this role. Oh God. That's fantastic. As, Mar- as that's exactly what he does in that movie. And you just love him. Nonetheless, like there's something about that guy where you just like, it can do no wrong. The, the thought that I was going to float and mainly it's just cause I, just watched uh, the Please Don't Destroy movie, The Legend of Foggy Mountain, that was directed by Paul Briganti, mm-hmm. and it's so fun and funny. And I I feel criminally robbed that we've never seen Conan O'Brien in other acting roles up until this point. Yeah, and now I feel like I every movie it. I want Conan in some way, and I could see Conan as a Marty Futterman type, who's the neighbor who's coming out and yelling and doing his angry thing and. Be like, you got to get that. Uh, let's make Conan Futterman. Well, Marshawn, Conan Futterman. Marshawn's got to be in it, though, now that you've brought him up. He could be the science teacher. He could uh, be the science teacher. He's got to survive. Or the other way around. Conan could be the science teacher. Conan could be the science teacher. Marshawn could be. Actually, Conan is. As the science teacher who's Futterman. like, I'm going to cut it up. What do you mean? What am I going to do with it? <laughs> Can we leave one of the Mogwai here with you? Yes, I will euthanize and dissect it. And then when he. <laughs> gets the probably a hydraulic air press injected into his veins at some point we uh we don't feel so bad god i'm excited about this movie i'm really excited about it if they were telling us that they were rebooting gremlins i'd be it it would be a real thin line they had to walk to make me not mad about it but this i think would the version that we've laid out here i am on board baby i'm in the Daniels on the phone. We'll call him up. Make this happen. I think we should actually, we should actually, this should evolve from being a podcast that we should actually become a studio yep. where we just are producing. We're, you know, we're what's known as consulting producers. We don't want to do any of the actual legwork of producing, but we just want to put it out there. Hey, here's some great ideas that you guys could take and run with and pay us for, obviously. So, Give- yeah, hit us up. We are available. We are very available. We're not going to do this every every episode, but I just want to end this first introductory episode with this little snippet of writing by uh, Carson Mel, who's written some really amazing books, Saguaro, Cherry on Top. Uh, he writes TV and movies, but he wrote this this thing on his Substack. I'm doing a lot of free plugs for him because I'm just going to read this passage, Burns, that I want to I want to go out on. That's All right. it's called Viva La Gremlins. Here's what we know about Mogwais and Gremlins. They're scared of light and will die in sunlight, a.k.a. they are nocturnal. If a magua eats after midnight, it grows a cocoon and turns into a gremlin. After midnight is a totally natural feeding time for any nocturnal creature. Mogwais are cute and cuddly. Gremlins, violent and nasty. However, these are mysterious creatures from some faraway land. We don't know how they behave in their home environment, only how they react to being stolen away to be pets in small-town America. If a mogwai is the adolescent stage of a gremlin and the mechanism which triggers adult metamorphosis is entirely natural, only one of the creatures exhibiting aberrant behavior in the movie is Gizmo. 
When he gets wet and reproduces more mogwais, his kin immediately desire to eat after midnight and become adults. Meanwhile, Gizmo actively results eating at that time so he can maintain a permanent state of adolescence. The other mogwai know it is their fate to grow fangs. They have to become adults and engage in all the nasty, natural things their adulthood entails. Only Gizmo wants to stay a cuddly, childish plaything for the family that bought him from the callous grandson of the man who stole him from his homeland. Sure, that's more palatable for the townsfolk who are otherwise terrorized by the gremlins, but it is pathetic for Gizmo. He is a worm that refuses to turn into a butterfly, afraid to fly. The gremlins, meanwhile, revolt against those who would prefer to keep them in this strange, castrato-like state. Gizmo is a coward and a traitor to his own. Gremlins are rebels. Viva the gremlins, baby. Wow. Wow. The words of Carson Mel, Luke, thank you for bringing that to me. That is... Ernst, thank you for this. I'm so excited. Every every week, we're going to be dropping trash to pieces. Reach out, people. If you're listening and you've enjoyed yourself, let us know. We don't know if anyone's going to like this. If you have a movie you want us to watch that you think is a perfect trash to piece example... Tell us. We'll do it. We're desperate. We'll do whatever you we say. We will do anything. <laughs> anything. We're the gizmos. We're the weird little we definitely the gizmos. permanent adolescent gizmos, and we need a big Billy to tell us what to do. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, man, Luke, this is great. I'm so excited. I love you, man. Love Can't you, wait buddy. For the next one. I'll see you next time. Trash to peace.